Hello and welcome to the SciComm JC podcast, your one-stop shop for effective and impactful science communication approaches. SciComm JC is sponsored by Captive Touch, a company offering consulting and training for strategic science communication. At SciComm JC, we aim to help scientists integrate findings from the latest evidence-based research in social sciences and education into their outreach efforts. We curate, summarize and discuss research studies and their applications to real communication contexts in a way that scientists can easily implement. Today we have behind the mics Sherry, Heather, Maria, Mina Vena and a very special guest, Dr. Carla Brown. She's the lead author on a paper we'll be discussing today. Hi everyone. Hello. Hi. Hi. We recently had a very interesting, as usual actually, very interesting Twitter chat. And I would give the word directly to Maria to tell us more about the topic that we spoke about then. Sure. So this July, I picked the topic of gamification of science learning, something I didn't know existed and I am crazy about it now. I got inspired by a colleague who posted on Twitter his um, work on a PC game, which teaches multicellular evolution. And I thought that was amazing. This was Alex Max. He was actually the guest on our chat. He couldn't be here today due to traveling, but he's a biologist, ecologist, and app developer working on cancer, evolution, botany, symbiosis, and kombucha. And he was the one that actually recommended Carla's uh, paper. And uh, just let me give a very brief uh, definition for gamification for those that don't know. So gamification is really taking out the fun design elements from games and applying them to non-game situations. So the gaming industry is really great at creating entertaining and kind of addictive products that people love. So we're sort of learning from them now, and that's why we're saying the word gamification. But I want to make sure that we know gamification doesn't necessarily equal a game, whether digital or not. It's a design process. So even something like um, progress bar on a LinkedIn page as you're filling in your information is a gamification element. So don't only think games, that's all, yeah. So Alex recommended Carla's paper, and I was so excited, Carla and co-authors, and I was really excited to find her on Twitter, so we connected, and Carla took part in our chat as well. So, um, so you know, the paper we were discussing is titled Current Climate for Digital Game-Based Learning of Science in Further and Higher Education. It was published in 2018 in FEMS Microbiology Letters. And Carla, can you please give a brief introduction, who you are, how you get into games, why you wrote this paper, and what would be the key takeaways from it? So hi everyone, my name's Carla. So I am based in the UK, and I currently run a startup company called Game Doctor, and we develop educational games and immersive technology to teach on science. So by immersive technology, I mean augmented reality, um, virtual reality. But to be honest, I've not actually worked in games my whole life. So before my company, I completed a PhD in microbiology. And it was sort of during my PhD that I began to experiment with games. I'm really passionate about science communication, and I'm sure most of the listeners are as well. Mm -hmm. And I was always kind of looking for new ways to communicate microbiology and science. And games really attracted me. So during my PhD, I, I developed a card game. Um, I developed a mobile game in collaboration with a game developer and then actually went to go complete a postdoc in game-based learning in Philadelphia. So I've had quite a nice mix of like the academic side of games and the, the commercial side of games. But I think in terms of the paper, we really wanted to show 
how diverse the field is and just how many formats of digital games and game-based learning and gamification there is. So hopefully we can start to touch upon that during the podcast as well. Yeah, this is great. And uh, so to catch up with the chat, to give a, a little overview of some of the key highlights we had and the great conversations, First of all, I actually want to mention that I did quite a bit of research before the chat. Uh, we asked uh, our Twitter, SciComm users, friends, and followers to suggest some uh, games. Uh, they're actually, when a game is created for educational purposes only, it's called uh, a serious game. So we asked people to share some serious games they liked, and we tried them, and then I highlighted them on our account. And many of them were uh, mobile games in STEM, uh, so trying to teach complex concepts in biology let's say but there was still a range like one of the games was for young adults focused on smoking and vaping prevention it's a game called smoke screen so that's that was quite different it was great to see that it's both stem and social sciences that can be gamified though i'm kind of assuming or i'm getting this idea that social science games are a little bit harder to uh, develop maybe i'm wrong carla can you please share your insights from the chat uh, maybe comment on what you contributed to the chat also because you had some great things to say sure i i actually thought the chat was really cool because i never really get to talk to scientists in a collective format like that about their attitudes towards games so i thought it was really interesting to see what different people liked about the different games um, you know, you saw some people that were really attracted to the content, so the really accurate, detailed science, but then you had other people that were more attracted to, you know, oh, that, that, that game design style, uh, style, that reminds me of XYZ game, which I thought was really interesting. And I really liked the positivity of the community towards game-based learning. I don't know if you guys agree with that. It was, there was a lot of positivity and acceptance to it being used. Well, I actually wanted to just kind of get back to your question about um, about with, you know, your comment, Marie, about um, like social science gaming being, you know, potentially more difficult um, because I am a social scientist. And so, um, you know, I think about those processes and a lot of those are intangible or really, really abstract processes that, that we look at and that we study. And so I'm wondering if there is, um, you know, a way that you would design or even kind of conceptualize or think about um, creating games that simulate social or psychological processes, um, you know, civic processes, decision-making, uh, things like that um, to, to help people understand those processes in a much more tangible way. It's just something that I noticed in the chat because we were talking about a lot of biological processes there and what I didn't see necessarily was so much of the social component. So I just wanted to kind of see if this, uh, if serious games are really sort of relegated to, again, those, those biological processes, chemical processes, things that are easier to, um, I guess, observe in real life um, as well. Things you can eventually see, even through a microscope. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, obviously I focus on the biological, but there is one game that I really wanted to bring up on this podcast. I don't know if you guys have heard of the game Papers, Please. I've seen it on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's it was developed sort of as a, in, by an indie game studio, but it has got a social purpose, and it's all around unconscious bias. So in the game, you are like a border control police guard, um, and you basically have to decide who gets across into the US or into the certain country based on a one bit of paper on this person. And you have like a quota of people that you have to reject and you have to accept. 
and it kind of you know all comes down to what are your biases and how do you make decisions and yeah I think it's a really cool game that really interesting that's interesting that kind of a this is Sherry uh, that kind of a game would be very useful because we're all so unconscious of our biases but going back to um, making something that is abstract appealing I kind of had the same question too. So my son had some homework for advanced placement history class, uh, which he would be taking this fall. And I noticed that he's not really into it. So I asked him if uh, AP history was going to be gamified, what feature should the game have for you to want to play it to actually learn history? What would make you want to learn history? And his answer was, give me a chance to become a character in the game, maybe somebody important in history that has to face a challenge and solve it. Then I find it really interesting. I would want to learn about history. Um, but I realized because uh, we had this conversation before um, on Instagram, and one of the, com I think the comment was that making a game like that is a little bit more complicated and more involved. Yeah, and this is Maria. I was just thinking as you're talking about your son, uh, a little bit side note, I grew up on PlayStation. That's why I consider myself a gamer. And one of the first games I loved uh, was called Broken Sword. It was an adventure game based on a lot of dialogue. And um, in there, you were kind of dealing with Knights Templar. And to be honest, I hated history growing up, but that game made me go online and look up as much as possible at the period of time. So in a way, I relate to your son. Make an interesting story, make me a character I'm gonna go and read history uh, but also I wanted to address Heather's question and I'm thinking of two things first of all uh, just you know we are talking about game-based learning uh, using digital games right now but it's good to remember that gamification again is uh, not just about a game product digital or not so uh, I was listening to a podcast on g gamification and there was a great example, a political science professor who applied gamification to his class where students just had to pick a country for the semester and keep track uh, if it happens to be on the news. And if it did, they'd get points for it. So this is not even uh, an actual game product, but they were more engaged. There was this gaming element with points, but it wasn't a digital or physical game. So see, um, you can apply different design uh, of gamification to kind of engage with social sciences and doesn't necessarily need to end up in a game product. And also, uh, I do know, of course, that social science related games, of course, exist. And uh, I'm the one that kept thinking about how much more difficult it might be to uh, teach some of social science concept versus maybe something more complex, but straightforward in STEM. So at LMU, as I was preparing for the podcast and the chat, I learned that we had we recently had a 2 million NIH grant for a gamification project. So of course, I immediately scheduled a meeting uh, with Dr. Labrie. He's the psychology professor who received the grant, and he's the one working on the game. And the project is a mobile app that sort of looks like a social media platform where college students share their views on different behaviors, and then they see how they compare to their peers. And the big goal there is to change the students' social norms about alcohol consumption. And um, I saw the prototype of the game and I was so impressed by how every single thing you see on the screen has um, theory behind it. 
The things that pop up while the game is loading, for example, have a purpose to tell you some information. And they don't even have to be there because there doesn't have to be a loading screen. So it's a whole, you know, psychologists know how to uh, trick people. So they were doing it really well with this game. And the big point there was, for this project and this goal of changing norms, you can't actually explicitly let the people know what's happening. Because the second they smell an intervention, they fight it. So it did have to be kind of cloaked in a couple of other things. And that's when I realized that social science games might have to be a lot more complex and tricky than STEM concepts. Carla, do you have any other thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I love the way that you said that every feature has you know, a purpose and that's exactly how we work. And, most how most educational games are made so they're evidence-based and we use quite a lot of behavioral frameworks to design our initial research so for example there's a framework called the theoretical domains framework and that really helps you understand your target audience's behaviors and attitudes towards certain certain subjects so I think there's about 12 domains of that and they look at knowledge attitudes emotion and by you know using these domains to develop learning questionnaires and focus group guides, it's quite nice because then you can use that data to help develop your game. Um, some other ones are COMB as well. That helps you understand why people act the way that they do. Um, and yeah, so I, I firmly believe that an effective educational game has to be evidence-based. You need to do a needs assessment with your target audience before you start any kind of design or development. Because otherwise, you're you're making a game that probably isn't going to be effective. Um, and I was just going to say that, as like a scientist and microbiologist, that was sort of the hardest part of taking this up as a full time career. It was the qualitative research side, because I was so used to numbers. I was like, oh my god. Um, and it's definitely something that I have. I'm still improving, but I actually quite love it now. I maybe prefer it to quantitative but don't tell anyone it's <laughs> <laughs> a podcast so <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll, 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 yeah actually do it <laughs> no shame in being mixed methods that's all i can say <laughs> sherry i know you you had a comment Oh, I just wanted to bring up the poll that we did, which highlighted the fact that everyone recognizes the entertainment value of a game is very important in order to get adoption because we can uh, we can create all these fancy games and we think that it's great and stuff. But unless it has adoption and retain, if we can retain people, if you cannot do those things, then it'll be difficult. So um, I think the entertainment value um, was, uh, the entertainment value was highlighted on a poll that we did uh, on mm. Twitter. And talk about retaining. I was wondering, has there been any research, Carlo, you would probably know, um, when a, a game that is science themed, but not necessarily a serious game per se, um, that has been mostly developed for pure entertainment, put, let's put it that way, has actually been followed up to see, well, to test whether indeed it increases the knowledge of the people playing it, whether or not they had pre-existing uh, interest in the science field as such or not. Yeah, so it's really cool that you mentioned that. There was actually a paper that came out in FEMS Microbiology Letters. I think it was two issues before our paper came out. And it was 
it was research done by Michael Sweet's group in the UK. One of the researchers was also Ian Turner, who's one of my game-based learning Twitter friends. So they actually used Plague Inc. in lectures to teach um, all about epidemics and modelling. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. You should, you should definitely check out the paper. It was in 2018. And they showed that when this commercial game, so this entertainment game, was used in combination with traditional resources and WHO data, it was really effective because it gave students this really visual tool to understand the data. And although this is sort of one paper, this has been done in numerous institutions. So where I done my postdoc, so Drexel University in Philadelphia, all of the researchers were using commercial games actually to supplement their teaching. And just because it's it's such a visual tool, um, but, but Drexel are really, really passionate about game-based learning. I have a follow-up question then, <laughs> based on your answer. Do you get to game a lot as part of your work? <laughs> Do I get to game? Yeah. Like play games? Yeah, I mean, so I, I am, I use, okay, I used to be a massive gamer, um, but I think because now with developing games, I play my own games so much, I don't play as much out well, on, yeah, in my sense. own time. <laughs> so like, for example, my group have been developing a, a new web application for Cambridge University. And I think we've probably tested it just over the course of the week, maybe like a hundred times each. Ooh. So mm-hmm. yeah, you kind of, you have it. And I, I think I need to take more time to play for fun again. I definitely yeah. do. Because my boyfriend is like the biggest gamer ever. <laughs> you know, uh, this is Maria. Um, Heather, you mentioned a couple of times, you know, I'm not really a gamer, this and that. And I kept thinking, why well, you don't need to be a gamer to be using gamification. But the more I think about it, the more I realize it does help to try games because otherwise you, you can't really tell what might work for people, you know? So perhaps there, you know, there is some benefit to that. And a couple of other uh, comments, actually. In terms of Plague Inc., because that was, it's hugely popular. Um, oh, I love that game. <laughs> yeah, I see, you love that game. It's kind of an interesting chance to be evil and try to destroy the world. Uh, but anyway, I just saw a YouTube video by the creator and he said something so interesting. He said that at some point during the Ebola epidemic uh, outbreak, sorry, they got, they got so many emails from people saying, you know what, I played your game and it kind of calmed me down a little bit and reassured me that a disease like that is not going to wipe out the world because of how this severe the symptoms are. So, you know, people playing the game, uh, you know, it affected them more than reading a news article or being explained by someone else. So that's really cool. And I, cool. another thing about Plague Inc., and going back to your questions about social sciences, Heather, I know that they have a completely new game called Rebel Inc. And very interesting. In there, your goal is to stabilize a country after a war. So you have to balance military and civilian priorities uh, to win the hearts and minds of people. Wow, that, that's interesting. I, I haven't played it, but this is kind of a political science. Uh, Wait, is that out already or is it in development? Uh, let's see. Click here to pre-order the game right now. Okay, I guess it's not out quite yet, but there's all the information about it and it must be coming out soon. That's interesting. I know. I, I, I'm very curious to see how that plays, you know. And I would love to talk more, uh, you know, perhaps in a, you know, online chat or Twitter chat or something like that on um, what you had mentioned too, with the idea of using games over like uh, news articles or, you know, other sources of information that we would kind of think would be more, you know, conventional for understanding uh, what's happening in the world or understanding sort of our own 
you know, concerns about our health or whatnot, too. I think that's a really interesting uh, comment that you made that I'd love to dive into another time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I just wanted to um, kind of wrap up what uh, the discussion was during the chat and some of the key takeaways I had. So one of the things that really I stood out to me and I understood is that it's really not easy to gamify successfully. Uh, first of all, you need to have a very clear idea of what your goals are and who the people who might play the game are. It takes a lot of collaboration and, of course, skills, not just programming, but of time, uh, money. So I recently visited, I was on campus at Loyola Marymount University, and I visited a virtual reality lab uh, because I was so excited. I've heard there's a chemistry professor who might be using like a virtual lab instead of a real one. And what I learned is that um, it's actually very difficult even for LMU, which is not such a big campus, to collaborate or to know who, who is doing what. There are several people using virtual reality either for research or even teaching or for just student assignments, and they don't necessarily know of each other and know how to kind of build on this amazing technology that I have access to. So it can be difficult, right? And um, one of the people I talked about, he uh, is a game developer and a computer science professor, and he said another difficulty is for him to re understand what professors might use. And so he could create something that can be used in not just one class and one professor, but different contexts, because that would be great. So just realizing that for a professor, it can be difficult to envision what the game can be, what would be the purpose, and how to even fit that into a semester. Right. So, yeah, Carla, do you have any other comments? I mean, I think you hit it on the head with saying how difficult it is. Um, and I guess I just want to say to anyone working in the field, don't don't ever undervalue what you're doing. Every small contribution made right now in game based learning is so important because we're still understanding where the field's going to go. So anyone that's making a card game or an app or a prototype, take a step back and give yourself a pat on the back because mm -hmm. You are changing things. Um, and if there's any funders listening, we need some more money. Um, I guess right now, the model, I think it's quite similar in the US, is that you have the small pots or the large pots, pots which can fund prototypes or very long-term projects. And we definitely need some more medium-sized pots to get projects off the ground um, over a shorter time period. This is Sherry. I wanted to contribute something from a point of view of a professor. So two things. Mm -hmm. Uh, one point Maria made during the Twitter chat and is the value of uh, the fact that gaming has a component of failure in it. And basically, if you want to play the game, uh, you have to get used to failing and starting all over again. Uh, so this is a valuable lesson to learn for anyone growing up who's trying to make their way in life and also trying to learn because we society has such a bad feeling about failure so i think one value of gaming is showing people that you know it's not such a bad thing to fail you just learn something from it and do it again so yeah. it's a it's a great way to teach the what's called the growth mindset and then another thing is uh, making games useful for for colleges, for professors, and I think the uh, first and foremost for college professors, speaking from a, as a professor, it's the educational pedagogical value of a game. That's the first and foremost. 
And we also have to think about the fact that our students are very busy. They're taking other courses. So incorporating a game into a class has to make sense. Uh, so it's not like you can uh, create a game and kind of throw it out there uh, and tell a person, yep, there's a game, use this to teach. But actually, you have to be thoughtful in terms of, okay, I have 16 weeks or even in, for colleges who are quarter-based, I have eight or nine weeks or 10 weeks to uh, teach students all these concepts. How can I fit a game into this thing? Um, but then there are uh, elements of gaming that, uh, that which also uh, Maria talked about during her chat uh, that people are using like uh, that game that, uh, what is it called? The one that they use in classroom, Kahoot. Students yeah. love Kahoot because it's um, kind of a competition. And again, gaming doesn't necessarily have to involve an individual game. Uh, you could just have a gaming element like this semester. I'm asking students, I'm holding a selfie contest because I'm so terrible at remembering <laughs> names. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Nice. So, yeah. So anyway, it's a, and developing an educational digital game that is going to be adopted by professors it's just like you all said, it's a it takes a village because it requires so many different points of view. The developer, the person who draws the story, the artist, the professor who wants to teach it, and the students. So just kudos to those who develop a game that uh, involves it, that yeah. involves all of these and make it work. And finally, another thing I want to say, because my kids have been getting me into watching that TV show, Stranger Things. Uh -huh. And I love the way they incorporate science in it. My favorite character in that movie is their science teacher. And that's another example of incorporating game, uh, sorry, incorporating science principle into a story. And you can, I guess you can call that some sort of a gaming, isn't it? Yeah, because gamification is a design process, you know, and... Uh, so having a story and mystery and curiosity, that's already gamification. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I uh, mentioned a couple of really great resources I found. There's Professor Game Podcast. It gave me such a nice breadth of ideas about what gamification can look like. So I really recommend that. There's the Science Games Center. It's a website where you can submit your game and you can also go and review other games. So that's a great resource to see what's out there. The mo Actually, the Twitter Twitter moment over chat is now a really fantastic overview of the discussion and all the different perspectives people brought in. Um, spoiler alert, I might want to gamify the class I'm teaching this fall. It's an internship <laughs> class and it won't involve any kind of game product. I am meeting with actually uh, some instructor technology people on Monday to discuss it. So we'll see how that goes. And Carla, can you um, talk about some resources you think are great and also if somebody would like, like I, I knew you did a postdoc that sounds amazing. What if somebody wanted more training or even a degree related to gamification? What would you recommend? Okay, so first of all, I would say get to all the game-based learning conferences you can because mm. that's where I found my PI for my postdoc. So some good examples are the Serious Play Conference, which is in the U.S., you guys have tons, actually. Then there's the, the Games for Change Conference, also in the US. 
if you're like me and you're in Europe for how long, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's also the European Conference for Game-Based Learning, which I've been to about three years in a row, and it's, it's really good. It's very academic as well. In terms of training, so in the UK, we have science communication degrees and master's degrees, and they do cover game-based learning elements. I'm not sure what the model is in the US, but there is an increasing number of these gamification postdocs and PhDs becoming available. I think I saw one in, was there one recently posted in Los Angeles, actually, maybe about in, in July. Um, Yes, and I would say as well, in terms of funding, this is the best time to try and get funding for these games. So the US right now has quite a lot of game-based learning funding. In fact, the Department of Education just invested, I think it was $9 million, in, in about 10 different companies and research groups on game-based learning products. Um, the UK... It's kind of dried up a little bit, unfortunately. We still have the Wellcome Trust that do fund prototypes and professional societies tend to have some pots. So, yeah, potentially I, I need to get over to the US. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I would say don't be scared to start. Just even if you're writing down some ideas and making a card game on scrap paper, just get started and show people and show your, your users and have fun with it. Because yeah. that's exactly how I got started. That's awesome. And when you mentioned that some uh, postdoc was posted, are you talking about Twitter or is there some website you look at? I saw it on Twitter. Oh, but you know what? It might be the thing I posted. Yeah, it was. It was. It was that. Yeah, uh, LMU has the postdoc position for that gamification project in psychology. It looks amazing. If I didn't have a real job, I would have gone for it. Um, and Carla, can you please uh, tell our listeners how they can reach you or learn more about your work? Yeah, so if you are working in games and ever want to reach out and have a coffee over Zoom or Skype, you can get me on my email, which is on the Game Doctor website. So our website is www.gamedoctor, so spelled full word game, doctor as in D-O-C-T-O-R, dot co dot UK. And Game Doctor is also on Twitter and Instagram. So please reach out. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. We have a little bit of an announcement. First of all, thanks, Carla, for the awesome chat and for participating in our Twitter chat as well. It's been really interesting. And I really hope we get to speak again soon when you have a new product out that maybe we can test as well. Yeah. <laughs> and the other interesting thing today is, so today is the 17th of August, the day that we record this podcast. And it's our Heather's birthday so, happy we birthday. wanted to wish her happy birthday. Thank you all. Happy birthday. Uh, so, Heather, you have the chance now as a birthday wish to make one wish about the type of serious game you want to see next coming out. Oh, okay. I, but if I tell you, will it not come true? That's the magic question. Okay, think about it. it. Okay. <laughs> I, I want to see something. Okay, honestly, I'll just share it. So, y'all, who was yeah. listening... Please, please get start this. working on it. Yeah, yeah, get, get busy. I would love to see more of um, civic technology. Uh, so games around civic processes, um, voting, decision making, um, and really understanding the policy making process. Um, that would be amazing. So the more games and the more interesting, I think, and relevant that they are uh, to our current situation here in the US, the better uh, to help people really understand the importance of civic education and participation. I can totally use some education on that point. 
<laughs> Fingers oh. crossed your wish comes true, Heather. <laughs> yes, my toes are crossed too. <laughs> maybe, maybe a game for AP government. Yes, I mean, that would be great. And actually for adults, though, I think would almost be more helpful uh, because, you know, I think at this point, because they can vote. <laughs> they, because they can vote. And honestly, the younger generations actually are much more um, engaged and aware, I think, than some of the older generations. So that's, I think that would be something that would be worth exploring. And Heather will be hosting our, uh, actually, what I was going to say is that we're going to have another podcast coming up, which yes. is based on the Twitter chat that Heather Hosted. Yes, so summertime, as everyone knows, is slightly more weird time for work and for <laughs> side projects. So we managed to have two Twitter chats before we recorded those podcasts. So before the next Twitter chat comes out or takes place, we're going to record a podcast uh, with another special guest, Tia Martino, that would be a guest on episode 11 that is coming up. And it would be... Um, expanding the discussion our, on our Twitter chat that Heather hosted on inclusion in STEM and, and science in general. So stay tuned for that as well. Make sure to follow us on uh, SciComm underscore JC in order to be able to participate in our Twitter chats and to have information on when our next uh, episodes of the podcast are coming out and all sorts of various interesting information on our website www.psychomjc.org based on popular demand from a recent poll that we had on our twitter account on our website you can read book summaries books related to science communication science outreach and different type of activities related to that thanks to our new intern Kimia. now you can read the first review and soon you can read the second as well you can also leave comments and get in touch with each one of us on the website you can also subscribe to our newsletter to receive all the updates for upcoming events twitter chats podcast releases summary of the interesting uh psychomy topics that we cover in various events and again that's www.psychomjc.org uh, PsychomJC is sponsored by Captive Touch, which is a company offering consulting and training for strategic science communication. It is recorded by the PsychomJC team. It's produced and edited by me, Nevena Christozova, and our music is compo composed by Musical Cocktail from Audio Jungle. Thank you to all of you in the, the wonderful listeners for joining us for the sixth episode of the PsychomJC podcast. If you have liked it, Make sure that you share it with your friends and family. It's important for them to know where they can find information that they can trust and whom to contact. And until next time, stay nerdy.